peace through God's final book to Revelation chapter 22. That's what we want to look at together this evening is verses 6 through 21. Final words of God to us in this wonderful apocalypse. And uh, Children, as, as I read the text, what I want you to see, if you can perhaps have sight to notice, are the common themes that are repeated in these verses, themes that no doubt we've heard a number of times already in Revelation. So let me read all of these verses for us and then I pray for our time and we'll begin together. So listen now as Christ speaks to you once again through his great revelation. And he said to me, these, are the, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again. Lord, what a privilege it is to work our way through this wonderful text in your truth. Would you pray that we would, as we turn one last time to Revelation, hear your word, that we might keep it. Lord, we long for the blessing that you've attached to it. Raise your son, Jesus Christ, in our affection and attention this night, that we too might say, yes, come Lord Jesus, come soon. And we pray it in his name, amen. You may be seated. 
one of the better known English preachers of the 17th century. It was a man named Richard Baxter. He was once appointed to be the, essentially the, the parish pastor of a town called Kidderminster. Now, it was a town of only about 2,000 souls at the time. But when Baxter arrived, he said that it was a town that had no interest in Jesus Christ whatsoever. In his own words, he said, even the, the precious few that were in the church, he, he said they were ignorant, they were rude, and they were reviling. But it was within just a few years' time there at Kidderminster, they had pursued building expansion after building expansion after building expansion. As five galleries had to be added to the church, such was the desire to hear God's word through the preaching of Richard Baxter's ministry. A visitor to Kidderminster said at the time, if you wandered through the streets on the Lord's day, you would hear this cacophony of psalms being sung and discussions being had about the morning's sermon. And Baxter wrote down much of that story in a book that's called The Reformed Pastor that many people still read around the world today. But if you know anything about Richard Baxter's ministry, you would know that surely under God, the reason for this kind of revival in the town of Kidderminster was due to Baxter's earnestness. He was said to be a man that was always preaching Christ, a man that was always catechizing the people in the truths about Christ, a man who was always meditating on the glory of Christ. And you could come across an old poem that he wrote that was simply titled, Love Breathing Thanks and Praise. And if you read through all the stanzas, what you'll find eventually is tucked away there in one of the verses is what surely is the secret to Baxter's earnest ministry. So let me read to you just six lines from what he wrote. He said, Still thinking I had little time to live, my fervent heart to win men's souls did strive. I preached as never sure to preach again. As a dying man to dying men. Oh, how should preachers men's repenting crave who see how near the church is to the grave? What you need to recognize about Baxter's ministry is that's one that's truly performed. It's one that's exercised always in light of the end of all things. I do hope you know as well as Baxter would have said so many centuries ago that if you live with the end in view, everything in your life will change. There should be boldness, there should be perseverance, there should be steadfastness, there should be significance, there should be increased tenderness. And as we come to the end of Revelation, we want to see that in our own lives one more time together this evening. Because it was 343 days ago, 42 sermons ago that we started in Revelation chapter 1. And now we've made it to the very end. And it's an end that's fitting to a book that began with the prologue, because what we have before us tonight is nothing more than the epilogue of Revelation. It's an epilogue that, if you noticed as I was reading it, seems to have all of these rather disconnected sayings and summons and sentences. And that's pretty true. Uh, there isn't necessarily a direct train of logical thought, although there is some degree of structure that's in this passage. Because kids, did you notice the phrase that's repeated three times in our text from the Lord Jesus himself? Behold, I am coming soon. 
So what I want to do is use those three phrases in a a way to kind of give us three sections to the passage. I'm going to reserve a few of the verses for the end as we make our way to the final application. But what our theme is for us tonight is the final words of Revelation. I want you to see first the final word about worship, then a final word of warning, and then thirdly, a final word of, of welcome. So there's words at the end about worship, there's words of warning and a welcome. Now, before you get to the word about worship, what you need to remember is where we are at this great stage in this great book. If you weren't with us last week, Mark Evans walked us through the first five verses of chapter 22. It was really the conclusion to John's vision of the new creation that's on the way. He said, there, in the center of the new creation, you have this river of life that winds its way around the tree of life. And all of this is in the presence of the Lord of life. And we know from chapter 21, verse 9, that this angel has been something of a heavenly tour guide to John as he's gone about his way of looking through in this visionary sense what's coming in the age that is about to arrive. And you'll see in verse 6, this angel speaks to John in this way. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits, of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And what you need to see, and I'll just show you this to you in a couple of different ways right at the outset, is there is almost this mirroring reality that happens in the epilogue as it reflects what happened in the prologue because the very first verse of the book sounds a lot like this one in verse 6, which we are told the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And a lot of you probably know that much of the debate that often surrounds this book of Revelation can almost encapsulate itself in in what you understand to be true about soon. Uh, When things must take place, well, how soon must they take place? And the position we've taken all throughout our studies of Revelation is that things that soon take place is just referring to that final climactic moment that's awaiting us in redemptive history, which is the final coming of Jesus Christ. That everything that we've read about in the previous chapters, it's speaking about this age in between the two comings of Jesus Christ, his coming to heaven in the ascension, and his coming from heaven at the final return. And so as we've once again come to a text speaking about the things that must soon take place, it's then fitting and perhaps expected that this chapter is all about this final climactic moment in redemptive history. And there's a few times in the text that Jesus speaks to us directly. One of them in verse 7 follows, And behold, I am coming soon. One of the final benedictions of the book finds him saying, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And once again, it mirrors what we heard at the very beginning and outset of Revelation, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, chapter 1, verse 3. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. And so kids, you want to recognize that what Revelation is telling us, and we'll come back to this at the end, is that much of the Christian life Uh, What it involves itself around and in and through is hearing God's Word. But it's not enough just to hear God's Word. You see, even the text is telling us you must also keep God's Word. Perhaps a, a simple way to think about this, children, is you must not only listen to God's truth, but love God's truth. 
keeping it in faith and fear and reverence and obedience. God doesn't always attach his promises to commands. But when he does, you want to pay attention. Surely there must be an unusual significance to that command. Therefore, you get an unusual sweetness of a blessing and benediction, anyone who keeps this book. Well, then you'll see in verse 8 and verse 9, John once again, as he's just done recently in chapter 19, he seems to be overwhelmed with what he's heard from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he just begins to fall down on his face and he, he's worshiping the angel that's in front of him. And the angel says, no, 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 you can't do that. You see verse 9, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. It should be striking to some of you that the angel is telling us that it's possible for someone to be so overcome with sincere enthusiasm and a genuine desire to praise the Lord that they fall down and worship, but that worship itself is actually falling short of what is right and true because you haven't truly worshipped God as he's revealed himself. But students even recognize what the first or those last phrases of chapter 22 verse 9 tell us about those who keep the words of this book. That they are like the angels. That they are like the prophets in their identity. So significant is it, again, to not just listening to God's word, but loving God's word. So a final word about worship. But then what you're going to get in verse 10 through 19 is what I'm calling final words of warning. Final words of warning. A preacher friend of mine recently was recounting how he had heard a story of an English royal figure who was talking with a, a local clergyman who was uh, quite popular and, I guess, influential in the Church of England at the time. And with genuine sincerity, this royal family member went to the pastor and said, Is hell real? And he said, Well, Jesus tells it so, and the Bible tells it so, and our church's confessions tell it so. And this royal family member retorted, why don't you tell it so? Now, what you see, don't you, throughout Revelation is that it tells us so. Verse 10 is going to provide the section full of final warnings that we're meant to hear and heed. John is first told in verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. That's significant if you were steeped in Old Testament language. It was in Daniel's ministry at the end of his prophetic work that he was told that he was to take his prophetic book and seal it up until the end of the age. But now John is taking his prophetic book and hearing, don't seal it up. Why? Because the time is at hand. The time is near. These things must soon take place. And there's a connection to Daniel 12 that continues into what someone has called the most unexpected verse in Revelation. Look at verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. And perhaps you can understand why that is so unexpected. Because you might read it and think, wait, is the Lord just saying here that sinners must continue in their sin? 
Well, we know that can't be right because earlier on in this book, he's already, the Lord Jesus Christ through his servants, he's summoned unbelievers to repentance. So it can't be that he's just saying, well, yeah, continue in your sin as the righteous continue in their righteousness. Uh, I think simply put, what he's calling our attention to is another text from Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, which simply says this, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Meaning that here in Revelation 22, what John is hearing is the fulfillment of Daniel's word of old. Isn't it true at the end of the age in which we live, people who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They just seem to continue on, don't they, in their wickedness. Never hearing, never understanding, never following, never believing. At the same time, God's people called to conquer and persevere, continuing to do what is right and be holy as God has called them to be holy. So Christ speaks again, doesn't he, in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. You could translate that as wages or reward to repay each one for what he has done. And it's language we've seen multiple times already in Revelation. And and students, you need to recognize that this kind of word from Jesus Christ ought to strike fear into your hearts. For what have you done but sin against God? What have you done but broken his law? What does your life and your actions deserve but his just and wrath-filled recompense? Underscoring the seriousness of that word is verse 13, telling us again who Jesus is. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we've remarked, haven't we, over the many months of Revelation, how this is a book that's continually driving us to a number of different truths, not least of which is the truth that there are only two particular cities in which you could ever live, the city of man and the city of God, the city of earth and the city of heaven. You can follow the whore that is Babylon, or you can follow the pure bride that is Jerusalem. And notice how verse 14 and 15 bears out this great dichotomy once again. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have a right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Which one of those verses is most true of you? Do you belong to those that have washed their robes in the blood of Calvary's Lamb? Do you belong to those who will see God in his city, taste the fruit of the tree of life? Or do you belong to those whose garments are actually only stained with your own sin? Be cast outside of the city, those who never have been able to taste of the tree of life, full of sexual immorality and worldly idolatry, loving everything that isn't the Lord's. That's a a word of warning here, isn't it? At the end, to which people do you belong? And again, as if to underscore the severity of this warning, verse 16 finds Jesus saying, I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and descendant of David, 
the bright and morning star, piling up all these titles that belong to the Old Testament expectation of the Messiah, saying that I am He, and I say, you must watch and be warned. So we'll save verse 17 for another few minutes, but look at the warning of verse 18 to 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of the book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, what do you think it means, children, to add to God's word? What do you think it means to take away from God's word? Well, don't you think that it means, at the most basic level, to change what God's word actually says? To twist God's truth to suit the times and the culture and the community in which you live. And how many times throughout church history, if you know anything of the barest outline of God's church throughout the ages, have God's people tried to do just this? And what they've found fall upon their heads is the promised punishment that Jesus says will come. Plagues and punishments heaped upon them for they have not just tampered with God's word, but twisted it. I suppose it's even a warning for people like me and other leaders in the church who trade in the great ministry of sharing God's truth. What a dangerous thing it is, isn't it? To twist, to turn, to change the meaning in a way to suit your audience. When God says, no, just give it to him as it is. And all of its warning power. But at the same time as the book concludes. Thus it's fitting isn't it. That he's not just giving us final words about worship. And final words of warning. But he's going to give us final words of of welcome. Of welcome at the end. I don't know about you. But there are a few things in life. That certainly in my current situation. That display the neediness of humanity. Is when I'm thirsty. Uh, Some of you might know that I tend to take it upon myself to go out and run normally every afternoon in the dead of the heat in Texas summer. It's certainly unwise according to my wife, but I do it nonetheless. And You know, you get out in the heat and it feels like the oven of Texas is radiating off the streets. And the way my route works, it's kind of like you just go there and come back. And and invariably, I kind of get myself going and I think, yeah, it's going to be a good day. And then you just get there about halfway and it's like a light switch goes off in the Texas heat. And you think, there's no way I'm going to make it back. And then by God's grace, I've made it back every day so far. And when you walk into the house, some of you know this feeling is all you can think about is needing a drink of water. And even three or four hours will go by. And they might say, what do you want to drink? And all you can think about is needing a drink of water. So desperate is your thirst. And if you've ever had that experience before, you know it's the worst thing to walk into a house and discover there is no water. Perhaps for the purpose of our text today is to walk into the house and say, you must pay a price for that water. And guess what? You can't pay that price. But look at the welcome of verse 17. What one old preacher said, the sweetest word in all of Scripture. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That surely is a summons of the deepest love of our Savior. Let anyone come. You don't have to be of a particular people. You don't have to be of a particular age. You don't have to be of a particular background in order to come. You just must come. You don't have to bring anything with you. You don't have to show anything that you've said, thought, or ever done. There's no wages that can earn this drink of the water of life. Even as Isaiah 55 says, Come, anyone who is thirsty, come and drink of the water of life, which we know from John chapter 7 is nothing other than drinking of Jesus Christ himself, from whom the rivers of life flow. It's a word of welcome. And I wonder if you're included in the bride of verse 17 who say, come. Jesus himself says, come. Notice verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So what then can you say at the end of this marvelous and wonderful book? Of course, you can say many things, and perhaps we should say many things, but let me just give you two final things as we begin to close. Perhaps two final words of welcome that we get in these final words of God's final book. The first is listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very outset, we've been told the importance and significance that belongs to listening to this word of revelation. I wonder how much of your life is devoted to listening to God's Word. Consider all of these rich themes that have come to us in Revelation, how that listening work actually works. In the midst of your suffering and persecution and hardship, when enemies arise and they oppose you and they seem to win at every turn, listen, for Jesus is one. When it seems as though every affliction, every suffering, every trial and tribulation is going to overwhelm your soul and cast you into despair and distress, Listen, he's going to make all things new. Perhaps much of your life is in turmoil and difficulty because you're not listening to Jesus Christ and what he has promised to you. But it's not just a book, is it, about listening to Jesus Christ. It's a book about longing for Jesus Christ as well. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let the one who hears Say, come. Jesus Christ says, surely I'm coming soon. What can the response be but come, Lord Jesus? It was about six years ago that I sat in the family room of a beloved church member at the church I was serving at during those days. He was in his late 50s. And he had summoned me over to his house to spend the afternoon with him. I brought my paper and pen because I knew this was going to be a meeting in which I needed a paper and pen. Because we were planning this man's funeral. So you see, he had been struck with terminal cancer and knew he wasn't going to see the year out. But he still had enough wits about him and eagerness and zeal that we spent the hours just reminiscing about God's grace in his life and planned out everything he wanted to be true about the funeral that surely was going to come. And weeks passed, and he would be with us infrequently in the church service, but every time that you saw him, he looked worse and looked worse, thinner and thinner, 
more and more frail. And so the last time I ever went into that same room and he was still there, he was actually laid up on a hospice bed. And he was at the point where he was in his battle against cancer, where he would just be in and out of consciousness. Some of you know what this looks like. You know, you sit next to him and he might see you for a second, but seemingly as quickly as he saw you, he would just fall right back asleep. Occasionally he'd be shouting something or saying something this seemingly in his subconscious. But there was that one moment I do remember when I was holding his hand, I was getting ready to go and leave him to his family when he, he perked up and opened his eyes and he turned his head and looked at me. And he had one of those final exchanges that are especially sweet and I said at the end, are you ready? And he simply said his last words to me, I can't wait. Final words, aren't they for God's final book? I can't wait. Listen then to God's son and long for his return. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the many months in which you have sustained us through our study of Revelation, a book perhaps that's so often confused and confounded many. Lord, we only ask that its abiding truth in our life would be that which comforts us in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ, that our hearts cry, would that be of the bride and the spirit who say, come, that we might listen to him, that we might love him, and that we would always long more for him. And we pray it in his precious name. Amen. Let's stand together.